Hey, welcome to The Heavy with Andrew and Don, where we cover a large range of rock and metal topics for the casual listener. I am your host, Don Sutherland, and with me, as always, is my brother, Andrew Sutherland. What's up, dirtbags? Um, remember, if you have any uh, questions or anything, comments you want to talk about, uh, you can email us at theheavypod at gmail.com or DM us on uh, whatever whatever social media. They all have DMs. Andrew, what are we uh, talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about the year 1996 in heavy music. I honestly don't know where you're going with this, but okay, let's do it. All right, so uh, obviously you want to hear more about what this topic entails. Yeah, it's pretty broad. It's a whole year. 1996 was a very formative year for me. Uh, so this is my, probably my first year of really embracing heavy music. And uh, I was four, I was fourteen years old. Full disclosure. In so is this because uh, mom and dad announced that I was on the way, and you were so angry by that? Uh, well, you were kind of a, a surprise. I don't think they knew you were on the way quite yet. <laughs> but I guess it depends when in nineteen ninety six. Okay. Right? Okay. Uh, but also, like, I think it's kind of cool to to pick a a year in the history of music and just kind of go through the albums that I like from that that year, or whatever. Right? Like, yeah. Like, oh, okay. Kind of my top albums, my personal favorites. Yeah. So I, I figured I'd start with 1996, and well, I'll do some other. I'll do other years later on, and start, like you know, episodes here and there. But I think yeah. 1996 was just an important year for me in music. So uh, just on a side note from the music stuff, a few notable events in 1996. So this is the year that Princess Diana and Prince Charles got divorced. Big deal. Uh, it's the inaugural season mm-hmm. of MLS. If you don't know what that is, it's uh, oh. Major League Soccer. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, it was the the year of the first flip mobile phone. So the uh, Motorola StarTac was released. Is that one of those uh, ones where like just the bottom flips out? Yeah, like there's no. It's just a cover for the buttons. Right. Uh, Nintendo sixty four was released. Oh. Uh, Happy Gilmore was released, and Adam Sandler founded Happy Madison Productions. That's a big deal because that's like one of my favorite. Oh, Ninety six is a good year. Yeah, like so. Other other notable movies from that. Where Train Spotting, Twister, and Independence Day all came out that year. Ooh, Train Spotting—that's a good one. And to top it all off, Braveheart won the Oscar for Best Picture that year. You're you're saying a lot of things that I thought happened earlier in the decade, but well, Braveheart—I don't know if Braveheart got released in 1996, but it won Best Picture, the Oscar in 1996. Oh, so it would have been 95. I oh, think okay. usually right, they do it the year after, right? Is that how? It yeah, works? yeah, yeah. Because then the whole year is done. All right, that makes yeah. more sense. A couple more things before we get to the music. The uh, Chicago Bulls won a record 72 of 80 regular season games that year. Crazy. And that's with Michael Jordan? (laughs) With Michael Jordan, yeah. Okay. Uh, Hot Mill started up. That's another big deal. A Game of Thrones, the book, is first published that year. So it's the first book in the Song of Fire and Ice series, which you're familiar with. That's the only one I've read, so I did know that. Yeah, there you go. I thought that for some reason I thought it was released in the 80s, but I guess he didn't start releasing them until the mid 90s, which is kind of crazy. I think he was like writing long before that. Yeah, well, it wasn't so like his first book. The book's like twelve hundred pages. He most likely was writing them quite a ways before. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, they're huge books. Uh, a couple more things: the Ramones performed for the last time that year. Oh. Yeah. Tupac was murdered, so it's hmm. pretty tragic. Okay. Uh, Kobe Bryant. It was his first season in the NBA. Ninety-six, really. Yeah. That was so, kind of surprising. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of crazy stuff. Like I didn't realize all that stuff happened in '96. Like I mean, I was alive at the time, but I don't really. I don't recall a lot of that stuff, but so 1996 was the first year I really started diving pretty deep into uh, multiple genres of heavy music. So anything from uh, goth metal, groove metal, industrial, and death metal, among others. So there was some pretty landmark uh, metal and hard rock releases that year. And for this episode, I'm going to talk about my personal eight most memorable albums from that year, 1997, right. and uh, some that I actually bought when they released, and some I maybe discovered later on, but they were released in that year originally. Okay. So, cool. And these uh, th- this eight is not like, it's not like a top eight in an order. It's like it's my top eight that I can probably relate to the most as being very memorable to me at, yeah. at that time. Uh, like but they're not. In, yeah. But they're not in an order. They're not like one to eight. They're just uh, right. Just kind of threw them together. So. Yeah, I got you. All right. So the, the first album we're going to talk about is the album by Tool called Anima. Ah, uh, okay. Well, I was I didn't want to like say a band I think you're going to talk about in case I ruined it. I'm like I'm pretty sure there's a Tool album from that year. Yeah, definitely. Maybe my second favorite, possibly my favorite Tool album. It's kind of up in mm-hmm. the air a bit for me. 
But uh, Tool's second studio album, uh, Enema, came after 1993's Undertow. It was released in September of 1996. Mm -hmm. So talking about genre, be considered maybe the alternative or progressive metal subgenre of metal. Yeah. So this for this album, Justin Chancellor replaced original bassist Paul Demore, and uh, Paul Demore still had some writing credit on certain tracks. Right. And uh, obviously, if anybody who's a Tool fan, we had Maynard James Keenan on vocals, Adam Jones on guitar, and Danny Carey on drums. Mm -hmm. All pretty phenomenal at what they do. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I remember the first single, Stink Fist. It was playing on mainstream rock radio when this album came out, at least until they figured out what the title alludes to. <laughs> Although it's, <laughs> it's just a really graphic metaphor. It's really like not to be taken literally, I guess. But yeah, yeah. which like a lot of the tool stuff was metaphorical, I guess. But, uh, uh, as we've as we've gone over, though, like when criticizing, especially like this genre, uh, nuance isn't really taken into account. And I always pretend like I know what you're talking about when you say that. I uh, like college boy. <laughs> <laughs> hidden hidden meanings, you know, like ah oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, sometimes you got to speak in layman's terms. I'm a mechanic. You know? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll, <laughs> I'll dumb it down for you. <laughs> I remember when I, I I did go to college for a brief period of time, and uh, I just remember this one guy in my class. Every time we were taking a political science class, and every time the instructor would say like almost anything, he'd be like, "Whoa, whoa hold on a sec." I need you to dumb that down for me. Or like, <laughs> I need you to put that in layman's terms. Like, you just need, you'd always tell him to like simplify everything he said. It was ridiculous. It was pretty funny. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Stink Fist is also the first song in the album, and it's one of the stronger tracks, too. So, uh, Adam Jones, the guitarist, he directed the pretty awesome stop motion animated music video for Stink Fist. Oh, so Stink Fist has some, there's like an actual person in it, but it's all done up with like some crazy animation around it yeah. and like makeup and stuff. And then, I believe, yeah, I'll talk about this in a sec, but the song Enema, which is the title track, uh, it also had a really crazy stop motion animation video. And I think it was pretty much all stop motion animation for that one. That's really cool. Yeah, but he, he made some he made some really, really cool videos. Like Adam Jones is kind of a genius, like kind of sick and twisted, but genius. Yeah. Uh, so Enema would end up winning the, the Grammy for Best Metal Performance a couple of years later in 1998. All right. Uh, so this would be, at least as far as I can see, the album that really broke Tool out into the mainstream. Because yeah. uh, their album before Undertow, it's like a good album, but it didn't really blow them up, right? And Enemas uh, mm -hmm. kind of got big from what I remember. So uh, the album has a really cool holographic cover with some really like crazy art artwork in the liner notes. And the uh, the packaging was actually nominated for a Grammy for Best Recording Package as well. There's a Grammy for that? Uh, apparently. Like yeah, I'm they happy they won it, but that's a stupid thing to win. Well, no, they were nom they were nominated. They didn't win that one. No, but that like just just in general, as much as like I love album art, that just seems like not something that the Grammys should do. Yeah, it seems know. like kind of a like a throwaway award, eh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, the the album cover though, you open it up and there's stuff inside the cover that you can put underneath the holographic like plastic thing, oh. and uh, and like it, it's like a holographic image as well as. I'm not going to describe what's on those images because they're fairly uh, offensive, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'd recommend checking it out. It's pretty pretty neat. Oh, cool. Some other really strong tracks on that, that album are H, uh, 46 and 2, and my personal favorite, Hooker with a Penis, which is <laughs> actually not at all about a hooker with a penis if you listen to it, but uh, it's got a really catchy title. <laughs> yeah, it really flows. All right, so uh, on to the next album. We're going to do the album by Pantera, The Great Southern Tranquil. Oh, hell yeah. So uh, this is Pantera's fourth major label album. I know we talked about all their glam metal stuff from before that. Yeah. So, But they're fourth on a major label. It was released in May 1996. So it's probably, it's a little subjective, but it's probably Pantera's heaviest album. Although there is some acoustic guitar and ballads on it, which but the album was basically a fuck you to the industry and the type of music that the record execs wanted the band to make. Right. So like, they wanted them to keep going in a certain uh, formula because they're, you know, they're money makers. They're really successful as far as metal bands go. Right. And they yeah. basically just did whatever they wanted. Musically, the album's all over the place going from the relatively traditional structured groove metal songs like they had in their previous albums. Right. And uh, to being all over the place with song structure, length, tempo, vocals, uh, some of the most savage heavy riffs and some of the like, most mellow, at least musically, not lyrically necessarily, but ballads. Mm -hmm. So they're just, yeah, they jump all over the place on it and purposefully mm -hmm. so i guess and like do it very very well it's it's a really good album but it, it took me a little while to uh when i bought the album i 
I might have mentioned this earlier in an earlier episode, but I, I didn't expect it to be quite so aggressive. Because yeah. at this point, as far as Pantera went, I'd only really heard Cemetery Gates and Walk. And it took me a bit to get into it, but I ended up really liking the whole album. And it's, uh, yeah, it's one of my faves now. It's, uh, there's a lot of good stuff on that album. Mm-hmm. And Vinnie Paul, the drummer, he referred to it as probably the most abrasive, obnoxious record we ever made. And I'd have to agree with that. And that's like not a slight either. So. Yeah, like it, just in reference to the way they were stylizing it. I understand that. Yeah, they were trying to piss off certain people. Yeah. And it obviously, I mean, I think it works, but also the, you know, the, the fans and people that appreciated it really embraced it. Yeah, that's a really fine line, I, I think, to walk. Like, uh, trying to make something to piss off the people telling you what to do while still, yeah. like, satisfying your, your fans. That's uh, not something that the band pulls off. Yeah, and I got to say, they definitely didn't, they didn't pull a nickel back and just, like, make the same album over and over again. Like, they, they went and, like, <laughs> a, you know, they still made an album that was them. But they yeah. they they yeah. changed it up so much that it's very very different from their previous albums. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. It's apparent right from the beginning of the album where the title track starts, and Phil Anselmo's just screaming like right off the bat, mm-hmm. which is kind of what took me by surprise when I first listened to it when I was fourteen. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like just <laughs> just just scream on top of his lungs like immediately at the start of the song. Yeah. Um, the the uh, the title track is similar in theme to Enema, although much more literal. Whereas like Enema was more of a you know, metaphorical. Yeah. Um, but it's more, you know, I mean, obviously the great Southern trend kill is kind of literal, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe in part, uh, in part a response to metal being largely overshadowed by grunge for much of the early to mid nineties. Starting to get a little bit pissed off, you know, at the situation in the, in the industry at the time. Yeah. That makes sense. Especially metal. with like all the cookie cutter bands coming out just to like cash in on grunge. Yeah. Which happens with every genre at some point, mm-hmm. whenever a genre gets really yeah. popular, the industry just starts pumping them out. Right. Yeah, it happened with uh, uh, hair metal in the '80s too. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, As I remember you explaining, uh, I think it was Candlebox. Is mm-hmm. that the band's name to me? Like, oh, ah, yeah. they're just like corporate made <laughs> to cash in on this. They were, and I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't like some of their songs, but they were a little contrived, yeah. it seemed. You know? Yeah, no, totally. So there's some great tracks on this album. Like, I mean, really, I like all of them, but uh, just to name a few: uh, War Nerve, Thirteen Steps to Nowhere. Uh, Living Through Me, Hell's Wrath, and then Suicide Notes Part 1 and 2, and also Floods, which I think Floods, Floods, Floods is amazing. Which is, the, is Floods one of the ones I put in the greatest guitar solos, or my favorite guitar uh, solos? No, I think you were oh, going the, to. Yeah, then... I think I was I was torn between that and uh, The Sleep. I, I think I put The Sleep on there. Yeah, yeah. But Floods is like really close behind The Sleep as far as Dimebag Daryl's guitar solos for me. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, because we talked about Floods a lot in that. Yeah. It's very well known as being a very, very good guitar solo. Mm-hmm. Just a quick note before I go to the next album. The first lines of the song Warnerve, truly fuck the world for all it's worth, every inch of planet Earth. Fuck myself, don't leave me out, but don't get involved, don't corner me. And like just the aggressiveness of those lyrics and the anger like really got, <laughs> like I was so angsty at 14, it just really like got its hooks in me, you know? Yeah. When I listen to that song now, I hear that those first lines, I get so pumped up. I get like just amped. I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it. There was a, a album I really got into as a sentency, a trivium, when I was, oh, I love when I was around my 14. Albums, yeah. Amazing album. But there's a, I, I want to say it's from the song Rain, but it might be from a different one. Um, might be from Pull Harder, but there's a, there's a line in that that's, you ask me, oh God, why? Because I'm God, that's fucking why. And that yeah. lyric would get me pumped up at the exact same age. Yeah. <laughs> All right, on to the, uh, the next album. We're going to yeah. do an album by Sepultura called Roots. Right. So this was released in the U.S. in March 1996. So this is one of the albums I didn't really get into until a few years after it was released, but it, I really appreciated it later on. This would be the last Sepultura album to feature founding member, vocalist, rhythm guitarist, Max Cavalera. Okay. So Roots uses some new metal elements, like heavily downtuned guitars. And it's a bit of a departure from the groove metal and thrash metal of their previous few albums. And then yeah. the death metal style of their earlier stuff in the 80s. Right. The, uh, the band acknowledges Brazilian indigenous people and culture on the album. And Max Cavalera actually visited the Zavante tribe and recorded some material with them that is on the album. And there's a Zavante chant on the song It's Sorry and the song Born Stubborn. So it's uh, it's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. So uh, drummer Igor Cavalera, his brother, 
experimented with different drum styles for this album and he, he wanted a style with more latin feel also influences from samba and african brazilian rhythms got incorporated into this okay so it's, it's not my personal favorite simple trail album i'd say i'm partial to thrash so i was always a big fan of their album arise but uh there's some great songs in here like the title track uh well it's not really a title track it's called roots bloody roots essentially a mm -hmm. title track yeah, but, uh, yeah pretty much the song attitude uh, straight hate and there's others i mean it's, it's a great album all, all these albums that i'm talking about here are all albums that i enjoy in their entirety so right yeah like not heavy filler albums yeah exactly all right the uh, the next album is going to be an album by manowar called louder than hell which i have right. probably talked about before in the manowar episode <laughs> yeah yeah but this was released in october 1996 Okay. So it's pretty standard Manowar power metal fare, like probably the cheesiest album lyrically. And that's saying something because the Manowar's lyrics have always been fairly cheesy. Yeah, yeah. Not not a lot of nuance in those. Like in a, in a glorious way, but like pretty cheesy still. But musically, there's some phenomenal guitar work and drum work as well. And Eric Adams' vocals are always killer. So mm. it's, uh, it's pretty impeccable when it comes to like the musicianship, I guess. Yeah. This was the the first Manowar album I bought, and I guess it almost took I almost took it as like a tongue in cheek with all the kind of metal for metal sake stuff. But uh, like I thought it was at first I thought like I loved it, but I thought it was like kind of a joke. Yeah. But then as it turns out, at least like the, the Joey DeMeo, who writes most of the songs, he takes that shit like deadly serious. <laughs> so hmm. as we talked about before in the Manowar episode. Yeah. This was their first album featuring Phenom guitarist and convicted sex offender Carl Logan. Oh. Okay. And I. I, I try not to let that ruin it for me now because like, <laughs> yeah, really art enjoyed, from artist kind of thing. <laughs> I really enjoyed his uh, guitar work, but I just can't get with the other stuff that goes on in that guy's life. Yeah, uh, fair. So, uh, although overshadowed by many of their earlier albums, such as Hail to England or Fighting the World, mm. I did listen to this one a lot in my early years, and I have a soft spot for it because of. I mean, I bought it when it first came out, and I just listened to the crap out of it, basically. Yeah, yeah, and they're very nostalgic for it. Yeah, so. It was, some songs on it I could mention are Return of the Warlord, uh, Brothers of Metal. I think it's part part one, or uh, maybe part two, I can't remember. Brothers of Metal, anyway. Uh, the Gods Made Heavy Metal and the song Number One. The, uh, the entire album is worth a listen if you're in the mood for some high-energy, extremely competent power metal with cheesy but inspiring lyrics. I figured that was a good way to describe it. That, does, that is a good description. I, like, I know exactly what to expect. Oh, okay, yeah, it is Brothers of Metal part one. Okay. Just wanted to clarify. How many parts are there? Okay. Uh, don't ask me that question. Probably, <laughs> just, just I'm wondering. guessing at least at least two. <laughs> you know, in case I want to marathon it or something. Yeah, there's gonna yeah. be. It'd be funny if there was only a part one. Just part one, yeah. Anything more? Uh, all right. Next album up is an album by Cradle of Filth called Dusk and Her Embrace. <laughs> yeah, poetic. It released released in August 1996. So this would fall uh, into the symphonic black metal genre, I would say. So okay. un unlike the early Norwegian black metal scene that we talked about, except for maybe Emperor, Cradle of Filth would embrace quality production early on and uh, solid musicianship, as well as incorporating various additional instruments and guest vocals and fairly complex song structures. Okay. Yeah. So I know we were talking about like the Norwegian black metal, how they purposely made their music like, really like, kind of lo-fi and not well-produced and stuff. Yeah, well, when you said the symphonic... Black metal, I think, is what it was. Uh, I was trying to remember the name of the band. That was Emperor. Yeah, that's, it was Emperor, that's which I, I listened to a bunch of after. Yeah. It's uh, probably, I'd say, my second favorite Cradle of Filth album after the album Midian, which uh, was a few years later. Right. There's just so many great riffs and melodies, and the atmosphere inspired by the songs in this album, it just kind of takes you to this medieval gothic place. It's like wondrous and sinister at the same time, so it's kind of cool. That was a very good description as well. You're really on it today. Yeah, I just this is music I'm fairly passionate about because it's stuff I listened to a lot when I was younger. So, okay, yeah. Some of my favorite tracks on this would be "Heaven Torn Asunder," "A Gothic Romance," full title "Red Roses for the Devil's Horror," <laughs> and uh, uh, and the, the title track as well is also very good. And uh, Kronos from Venom, the the vocalist from Venom, did some guest vocals on the last track called "Haunted Shores." Oh, sweet. So, uh, yeah, one of my favorite black metal albums for sure. All right, the next one up is an album by Marilyn Manson, Antichrist Superstar. Marilyn Manson, huh? Yeah. I didn't know you were into Marilyn Manson. Uh, when I was 14 years old, I was. That makes sense. That mm. that's, that's probably the, the average age of most of his fans. Probably like a lot of kids that, like the, at that age at that time, right? Yeah, totally. 
So it was released in October 1996. This album just instantly appealed to me, the uh, the angsty 14-year-old <laughs> that I was at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, ven- it was just so venomous and offensive in so many ways. And yeah. a lot of its appeal at the time was because most adults in mainstream media hated it so much. And mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to see what all the fuss was about. So like, like I mean, what if they don't like it, there must be something there, you know? Like, Right. It was, uh, it was actually a, a concept album. And it's separated into three sections, and they tell the story about a rock star who is disgusted by mankind and transforms into some kind of like world destroyer by the end. There's a, I don't know, there's a bunch of stuff going on there, and I honestly can't pretend to understand any of it back then for sure. Like I just like the way the song sounded, kind of thing. Yeah. And how angry absolutely. they were, you know. Yeah. I didn't even really realize it was a concept album until now, you know. I mean, like if you were to look back at it now i guess you went over it for this like does it seem clear that it's a concept album i guess it's more to the point that i wasn't aware of really what a concept album was at the time okay i I wouldn't have been able to define what a concept album was when i was 14 years old but i I probably did gather that it was like a story that went to continue throughout every song like throughout the album yeah so yeah Uh, marilyn manson and his band were also known for their onstage shock rock stuff which was part of the uproar at the time Right. Not, okay, I'm not going to have some weird stuff going on anyways. Uh, He's a weird, <laughs> weird, weird guy. I think a criminal yeah, yeah. man also. Like convicted? Like con- convicted, not like fun shock value stuff, but uh, yeah, I don't remember yeah. exactly what it was. I know it's not good. I think he, I remember he got in some trouble or, or he was accused of abusing some women in relationships he, he was in relationships yeah. with. Like, uh, sure. I can't remember exactly. I don't want to get in trouble for like libel here or something, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we like, can leave it at like, there's something that he did. Cause I'm not sure if he got convicted of anything either. Yeah. Regardless, okay. that's not what we're really here to talk about. So uh, genre wise, it's more of an alternative hard rock or industrial album than true heavy metal, but still some pretty metal riffs to be found. Some pretty heavy stuff and lyrically very heavy. Sweet. So, uh, I didn't really follow Marilyn Manson's career much after this. Like I said, it was kind of a 14 year old sort of angsty thing for me. Yeah, uh, and I went mostly in a different direction musically as I got older. Manson became kind of more mainstream, but uh, I've I ran across several songs on his later albums that I enjoyed, mostly the heavier stuff like uh, "This Is the New Shit" and "Fight Song" stuff like that. Right. So um, some good songs in this album that I would mention are uh, "Irresponsible Hate Anthem," the opening track, uh, "The Beautiful People," even though it's been heavily, heavily overplayed. Yeah, yeah. True. Um, "Little Horn" and "The Angel with the Scabbed," just "Angel with Scabbed Wings." Okay. But yeah, I'll state it again though. All of these albums are worth listening to in their entirety. I'm just kind of, right. if somebody wants to know if they're going to enjoy that type of music, they can kind of pick one of the songs I mentioned and they'll get a good feel for whether they want to dive into the whole album, I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right. The next one is another band we've talked about in the past. It's uh, Typo Negative. The album's October Rust. Nice. Okay. So it was released in August 1996. And uh, I'm a little disappointed because I was really expecting to look for an October release here. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of jumped the gun I feel they could have just like waited a couple more months right <laughs> Too so this would be in the goth metal genre really right. like probably the pioneers of true goth metal yeah, yeah uh, as we discussed in that, that episode uh, I've mentioned how much I love this album growing up in the previous episode there uh, maybe a big reason was that it was so different from the heavier thrash and death metal I was getting into at the time right. but it was just so emotionally heavy that it really spoke to me and, and Peter Steele's vocals are just so unique and fantastic like that that really deep was like baritone he's got mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, he's got an incredible voice yeah just nobody else ever sounded like that never will mm-hmm. um, but it, it, this would be the first album with Johnny Kelly credited on the drums even though the album apparently used program drums in the recording oh I found out okay um, this album is all like seductive goth atmosphere <laughs> it's it's just uh, musically really chill there's <laughs> not you know they, they really got away from the uh the thrash stuff that Peter used to do with uh, Carnivore and a bit early on in Typo Negative. Right. So I'd say overall my favorite Typo Negative album would be October Rust, I guess. So a lot of these albums weren't necessarily my favorite of that band. They were just uh, one of my favorites from that year. Right. So maybe mostly for sentimental reasons because it was because I bought it when it first came out and it was the first Typo Negative album I really got into. Yeah. But the albums Bloody Kisses and World Coming Down are close behind as far as Typo Negative goes. So some songs of note from this album would probably be probably repeated from the typo negative episode we did, but uh, Love You to Death, My Girlfriend's Girlfriend, and Wolf Moon are some of my favorites. And I'll assume that at least one of those will be on the list coming up too, so we'll hear them. 
Yeah, I, I just tried to, for the workout playlist, I tried to not repeat any songs. Right. So there may be songs that were my absolute favorite on the album, but if I had done them before in a previous workout playlist, I chose another one instead. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the, this was actually kind of hard for me because there's actually a bunch of albums that I'm going to just briefly list after. And I probably missed some too because there's so many albums came out this year. Yeah. Um, but I, I went with an album by Carcass called Swan Song. So it was released in June 1996. Carcass is another band we talked about previously. So I, I'd say... Which, which episode did we talk about? I'm trying to remember because it does sound familiar. It was like the uh, melodic death metal episode. Oh, oh, so very recently. Okay. Yeah, we talked about the uh, Carcass album Heartwork. It was the album just before this. Right, okay. So a lot of metalheads would probably be upset with me for including this album because... But I mean, because this isn't an objective best metal album list, it's very subjective. It's a yep. list of albums that were important to me from that year. So, uh, yeah. yeah, they can suck it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so, not what we're talking about here. Yeah. Shut so, up. Uh, sure, it might be, it might technically be Carcass's weakest album or definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends what you're looking for, obviously, but for true Carcass fans. Mm-hmm. But I, but I listened to it a lot back in the day and I really enjoyed it. And, uh, it's like a melodic death metal former grindcore band trying to write almost commercial hard rock with like kind of PG lyrics. Oh. But it, for me, it kind of worked at the time. Although, I mean, I still prefer the album Heartwork, uh, but there's some really catchy riffs and hooks in it. Like, I, I just, I know, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I listened to that album a lot. And I, I know, like, whenever you read reviews on it, you know, you re- read, you know, comments and um, message boards and stuff, like, people really shit on it. Yeah. But uh, personally, I, I, I like it. I enjoy it. I, I can't really disagree with someone's opinion if they don't like it, right? But Yeah, and this is your opinion. Yeah, but they yeah, can't exactly. disagree about it either. Yeah. They can say they don't like my opinion, but yeah. my opinion. And, and and I mean, I'm also, to be fair to them, Carcass has other albums that are very, very good. You know, if you're looking at uh, Necrotism, the one before Heartwork is really good. Uh, the one that they put out years after, uh, Surgical Steel, is excellent. So it's it's not like I'm saying, like, this is carcass's best album i just enjoy like even it's not even my favorite carcass album i just enjoy this album and i listen to it a lot and it's from 1996 so right yeah and i mean just talking about how they almost seem like they're trying to get more commercial with the the song structure and the the style at the time Mm -hmm. uh to to be fair jeff walker's vocals were still way too abrasive for carcass to ever get very commercial (laughs) to be actually (laughs) mainstream yeah yeah like some bands have gone from say death metal growling to like clean vocals they like did not Metallica. do that at all. Yeah. Uh, well, Metallica was never death metal. Not yeah, not really like growling, but uh, quite quite the difference between the two. I would probably use a band like say Amorphous, where Amorphous started out as like a growling death metal band, and then transitioned to just clean vocals. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. T- afterwards transitioned to kind of a combination of both. Mm-hmm. But yeah, back to Carcass. So yeah. Carcass would, I'd say, in, in my words, would return triumphantly years later with Surgical Steel, like I mentioned. Which is a, a great album, but I'll still, you know, no matter how much you can sh- shit on Swan Song, I still throw it on once in a while and listen to it. Like I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> Those some notable tracks include "Keep on Rotting in the Free World," great song title. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, C- Cross my heart and uh, rock the vote. Okay. Yeah, I think one of the most listened to songs in there is "Black Star," as well. I guess I'll throw that in there too, but it's not my favorite on the album. Right. Okay. So uh, that's it for the eight albums, and I, I mean, I could keep going. I could probably do like. 30 albums but we only have so much time so uh um, right. some honorable oh oh yeah. you got uh honorable mentions okay. yeah i'm gonna do a few honorable mentions since there's a ton of important albums that came out in 1996 right so okay. there's some that i've mentioned before so in flames the jester race came out in 96 right. uh we did that in our we got melodic death metal episode <laughs> yeah uh edge of, a band called edge of sanity they put out an album called crimson that was really good uh neurosis put out an album called through silver and blood that was good uh, Korn's second album, Life is Peachy, came out that year. I didn't know uh, Korn was called... uh, active that early either. Yeah, I think I believe it was their second album, the Life is Peachy. Uh, okay. I wasn't a huge Korn fan back in the day, back then, so I just kind of... I'm just starting to like them now, I guess. I'm just starting to get into some of their stuff. But right. I was not very into new metal when it was first big. So they were too popular for you? And I was really rocking the boat for me. Like There was always <laughs> like good... I was really into melodic death metal at the time, like heavily. And it right. was just like, for me, it was like the enemy, basically. Yeah, it was like a whole other kind of style. Yeah. Uh, so a few other bands. So uh, Samael, they put an album called Passage that's really good. Uh, Soundgarden put out Down on the Upside. 
Right. 96. Oh, love that album. Favorite Soundgarden uh, album. Arch Enemy's first album, Black Earth, came out that year. Uh, Rage Against the Machine's second album, Evil Empire. This is a pretty crazy right. year, actually. That was a really big year, yeah. yeah. Uh, Hypocrisy, uh, they put an album called Abducted, which I actually listened to a lot. That's a really important album to me as well. Okay. Uh, Cannibal Corpse's first album with George Fisher, who is their uh, singer after Chris Barnes. They put okay. out their uh, first album with him called Vile. That was a pretty solid album. Right. Um, I, I put this band in here even though I barely remembered them, but uh, a band called Mortician, they put out an, out an album called Hacked Up for Barbecue. <laughs> it's just oh. like very like horror-themed death metal. It's like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like it. I think I almost enjoy it more now than I did back then, but uh, I just remember reading about it in uh, like metal magazines. I think it was Metal Maniacs back then. Right. Uh, another band I really enjoy called Old Man's Child. They put out their first album called Born of the Flickering uh, in 1996. Old Man's and, uh, Child. That's the that's the band name, huh? Yeah. So the guitarist from Old Man's Child, or like the main guy, like the vocals guitarist, the guy named Galder, he plays guitar for Demi Borger. Now. Oh, oh. So the, a, a bigger black metal band, but uh, yeah. Old Man's Child is really good. Um, and then a couple more albums. Uh, album called Rude Awakening by Prong. I don't know if you've ever heard of Prong. I don't think I have. No. They're like a thrash band for that were. They never got really big, but they're kind of around the scene back in the late '80s, early '90s. Right, right. And then uh, Ministry also put out Filth Pig in 1996. Oh, right, yeah, which we yeah. talked about for sure. And honestly, that there's so many albums, like even even genres that I don't really talk about in the podcast that I that I don't mind, like uh, um, Outcast put out AT Aliens that year, which is one of my favorite rap albums. That that album's amazing too. I was actually there was yeah. earlier this year. I got really really into that. Listened to it for like two weeks straight. Yeah, yeah. Like I won't talk about rap a lot on here, but I do enjoy. Uh, some of it and that's, that's a good album and also uh, mm -hmm. I think it was Tupac's All Eyes on Me like Double Disc came out that year and also like Jay-Z's first album came out that year apparently first album okay yeah I can't oh. remember what it's called but I never listened to it <laughs> but, um, a couple albums that came out that year that I don't enjoy uh, <laughs> Danzig 5 Lucifuge sucks okay. <laughs> like Danzig tried Danzig put out like his first four albums and they're all excellent and then he put out Danzig 5 and it's like this hash of garbage industrial sound and like odd time signatures it just it sucks um and and it's saying a lot because i like i love a lot of danzig's work but i did not yeah. enjoy that album and i tried to listen okay. to it again recently and i just can't get into it yeah. and that, also, that makes you more uh reliable i guess if you're willing to say like yeah this is awful even though yeah well, the guy. there's tons of musicians that i really really like that have put out stuff that i can't stand yeah and that actually goes for the next band I'm going to mention. Uh, Metallica Load came out that year. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, as I like to call it, Metallica Load of Shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to call that album. Because I, I was like, I was all into Metallica at the time. I was like, I had Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning. I was like, oh, man, Metallica's so good. Oh, they're putting out a new album. I was so excited. You know, even like the Black album at the time I really enjoyed. <laughs> and then they uh, they put out, I think, I think Until It Sleeps was the first single. I'm like, oh, like. Just you know, it's a slow. They always have like one slow song every album, right? The rest of the album's got to be good. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it's not. It was. It was not. No. <laughs> no. So uh, did yeah. Reload change your mind at all, or? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I think it's worse. Interesting. <laughs> and also, Saint Anger is even worse. Worse. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't put out another album I enjoyed until. Uh, what was that one? Um, death, death magnetic is that what you're thinking of yeah death magnetic they, death magnetic yeah. was the first album after the black album that metallica put out that i actually enjoyed mm -hmm. yeah i do i i like death magnetic as well it's uh they, well they, they they got back to what they were good at right mm -hmm. all right well let's uh let's get on to the workout playlist then oh yeah sounds good i ain't got time to bleed this is the trouble Let's put a smile on that face. I took the wrong way to quit drinking. All right, song number one is Tool, the song Enema. Uh, it's got a cool opening riff, and Adam Jones has such a unique guitar style. His, his riffs yeah. always sound like Adam Jones riffs. Um, I love the drums and the build-up to the intense chorus, and Maynard just, like I said before, he just shits in all the trendy, yuppie bullshit. Uh, yeah. Tool Tool has a unique sound, and um, this is a prime example of that sound. And it's uh, it's early enough in their career that the songs are almost a tolerable length. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Anima Tool. <laughs> 
And yeah, it's just a classic Tool song. I love, I love yeah, that so, album. So good. I definitely watch the video. You'll get even more. Yeah, well, I I checked it out actually while while you were talking before. I didn't want to interrupt you, and yeah. uh, that's awesome. It's pretty cool, eh? And they won the Grammy for that, right? The best performance. Yeah, best metal performance in 1998. Yeah. Absolutely, later. absolutely yeah. deserved. Well deserved. Okay, uh, song number two is Pantera, 13 Steps to Nowhere. Right. So Vinnie Paul's drumming really drives the song. You'll you'll know what I'm talking about right away. There's some typical great riffs from Dimebag, and the uh, there's multi-layered vocals that they used on Tranquil on that album, and it's all over the song. You can really tell the different vocal layers that they use. Mm-hmm. The the high-pitched screaming in the chorus is from a guy named Seth Putnam, of legendary band Anal Cunt. <laughs> One of ah, my yes. Everyone knows Anal Cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, household name. Uh, yeah. It's a killer song about the you know bleak state of society. So yeah, check All it right. out, man. Yeah, thirteen steps to nowhere, Pantera. I mean, again, it's just it's Pantera, so it's it's amazing. But uh, okay. it's it's good to hear more tracks from that that album because I feel like I always end up just like cherry picking floods or drag the waters out, and then yeah, I listen yeah. to uh, oh, which one? It's not Cowboys from Hell. Vulgar Display of Power. I'll end up listening to that like twenty times, and then <laughs> don't listen to Pantera for a while. Yeah, I mean, all their all five big label albums they put out mm-hmm. were all really good. Yeah. I'd say Vulgar Display of Power. Like album to album is, is probably my favorite entire album, but like I mean, I like all of them a lot. So yeah, Pantera is one of my favorite bands ever. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right, song number three, yeah, by Sepultura, Roots, Bloody Roots. So although I mentioned before I wasn't a big new metal fan early on, I got on board with the downtuned guitars for their stuff, mm-hmm. and the tribal sounding beat that Igor the drummer does is uh, super energizing. It's a really great workout song. Mm-hmm. All right, Roots, Bloody Roots, Sepultura. Yeah, that's killer. I I love it. It's like uh, the band we went over when we did the Grammys last year. Um, it sounds yeah. a lot like Gojira. Like they must take inspiration from them a lot, especially with the subject matter and like their. Yeah, I think Gojira's probably. Yeah, Gojira's probably been influenced by Sepultura. Like a lot of mm. bands been influenced by Sepultura. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Sepultura had very oh. distinctive like periods in their music too, right? Where they had their mm-hmm. early death metal stuff, which is like yeah. a lot simpler and not as not as musically complex and they got you know better at their instruments yeah and they ended up yeah. uh becoming like a more of a thrash band and then like more of a groove metal band with the chaos ad and then going to even more new metal in roots play roots so they really like seamlessly transitioned between all these different subgenres of metal and did, they did them all so well you know mm-hmm. so like, like just legendary and it's just uh i mean maybe for the best that max left Maybe it, like things turned out the way they were supposed to, but it's pretty sad that he left when they were basically at the highest point they had ever been. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they had just a bunch of there was a big falling out. Like there was a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, it's mm-hmm. another a story we'll talk about in another episode because yeah, we'll definitely totally. do an episode about Sepultura. But very very important band. Uh, all right, number four, we're gonna do a song by Manowar, and I'm gonna pick an unlikely song off this. It's called Number One. Okay, <laughs> it's uh, generally not one of the better known tracks on the album, and like lyrically. It's a super generic gym or sport anthem, it seems. <laughs> but uh, it's just so perfectly crafted and executed. I still get pumped listening to it every time. Right. And uh, just don't look for any deep meaning here or anything. <laughs> right. It's Manowar. We, we talked about them before. The, if you want to feel like a, a fantasy Viking, that's, that's what you go through it for. In this case, maybe a football playing fantasy Viking. Really? On <laughs> or or, we, or weightlifting or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen to the song. <laughs> yeah, know. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the lyrics. I really want to know. All right. Uh, <laughs> number one, Man of War. Let the game begin. 
Uh, two two things. The best lyric I've ever read. We have come for the number one, not the number two. It's <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, and also, I want to hear that instead of national anthems before sports games. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's like it's not dirty at all. It's just like it, it, it gets you pumped up. It's like it's not about anything really, right? Like it's it's just so generic. But it just yeah, it gets you. Yeah, he just says you, the game. It gets <laughs> you pumped up for whatever you may be doing at that time. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we can make it work for any narrative. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, number five. All right. A song by Cradle of Filth called A Gothic Romance, Red Roses for the Devil's Whore. I have to make sure I read that whole title. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a slow burn for the first bit, like a lot of Cradle of Filth songs, but there's tons of catchy guitar melodies and heavy riffs throughout the song. Right. And like loads of Gothic atmosphere. It's, uh, it's quite a journey. Like I said, these songs, like Cradle of Filth songs are long, but there's like, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of changes throughout the song, you know, like time changes, riff changes, like stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. phenomenal. Totally. All right. Uh, a gothic romance, red roses for the devil's whore, cradle of filth. Like, I love the symphonic orchestra it, it brings to it. Like, I really feel like I'm bringing Red Roses to the Devil's Horn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really, like, takes you and puts you in that world, you know? It's... Yeah, exactly. No, it's great. It's like, it's just so grand. Yeah. No, the Cradle, Cradle of Filth has put out some really good stuff. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. absolutely love all their albums, but this one I definitely recommend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, like, they're another band I could do easily an episode or two on. Yeah, totally. And uh, song number six. Yeah, let's do it. It's a song by Marilyn Manson called Little Horn. I'd say it's probably my personal favorite song on the album. It might be the heaviest on that album. Uh, it's pretty to the point lyrically. Uh, you know, Manson really just has no faith in humanity, just screaming the chorus. Uh, world spreads its legs for another star. World shows its face for another scar. And he just mm-hmm. fuck, hates everything. Right. <laughs> to the point where it seems his voice is going to destroy itself almost. <laughs> and uh, although it's super intense, it's almost kind of catchy, the way he screams it. So... I don't know. Give me your opinion, I guess, on it. Make okay, sure. yeah. Make sure you get to the All chorus. Right. All right, Little Horn, Marilyn Manson. It's a Marilyn Manson song. I I guess I understand it being like a favorite song of yours. Marilyn Manson just isn't really my kind of my kind of artist in general. Yeah. I understand that a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is just because because you know it's him, right? That's true. Yeah. Like I I didn't even listen to his music growing up. I just he was always in the news. I'm like I don't really yeah. like the way this guy looks. He creeps me out. So that oh, sort that was, of biased me. It's kind of his intent. I guess so, yeah. But when you're like seven, it sticks with you. Yeah, I just, I mean, I just listened to this album a lot, and I, I, I believe yeah, it's the no, only, okay. it's probably the only Marilyn Manson album I have. I might have that Smells Like Children album they did, the one with uh, Sweet Dreams on it. Oh yeah, yeah, like before this. But I'm pretty sure I didn't buy any Marilyn Manson albums after this. Right. I just, I mean, I had to mention it because for 1996, when I was 14, like I just really, really liked this album. It was. Yeah. Totally. I, I listen to it a lot. So yeah, uh, makes sense. All right, song number seven. It's a typo negative. The song is "My Girlfriend's Girlfriend." So the album October Rust. It's in Metal Hammer's top twenty albums of uh, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, they, uh, they they call this the perfect goth pop song, and uh, it's not comparatively heavy, like compared to other songs on this list, and even yeah. compared to a lot of typo negative music. The uh, the guitars are kind of buried behind Steele's vocals, and uh, Josh Silver's synth. Right. But for a Peter Steele song, it's almost kind of happy and uh, okay. it's got some good, it's got good energy. So, okay. Pretty catchy song. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend's girlfriend, typo negative. Could be a woman. 
Yeah, I love the key changes in there. Like I probably things I've said when we listened to Typo Negative a bunch in the episode, but just like such a unique sound. Love it because yeah. you're not going to hear it really anywhere else that way. No, and like that's vocally and musically, like nobody else has ever really sounded like them. Yeah, totally. And, and uh, something drew me to it, I guess, so, like to his, his yeah. style, his like lyrics, the way he's saying about things, you know, like the the atmosphere that put out there. Yeah, it has a very unique space to it for sure. Yeah, and and uh, like the the synth or the keyboards are really prominent in this album, mm-hmm. uh, but it it really fits. Oh, totally. All right, uh, the last last song, song number eight, the song by Carcass. Uh, it's called rock the vote so when they spell it on the album rock has like two asterisks for the o and the c so it's like okay. they're censoring it kind of but yeah <laughs> I, uh, I love the melodic harmonizing guitars it's got a pretty good riff and tempo it was always one of my faves on this album it's got a decent solo though apparently rock the vote was it was some organization that was developed to get young people to vote uh, it's I, still a thing it's, for sure it's, is it uh, actually still, still around yeah it's still around like they're trying to, uh, I guess Carcass wasn't sold on it, so it's a bit of political commentary. I guess I'd have to read more into it to understand what Carcass's specific problem with it was. Like I, I just don't really know enough about politics in general, I guess, to really comment on it. It's also American politics too, so like this is, I probably don't have a perfect perspective on I, it. You know, I feel it's it might just be sort of like what I see on Twitter. You know? But Carcass is British, so I feel this might be a like a British thing at the time. I wonder possibly. if it's international. Uh. It's a good song anyway enough about okay yeah we don't, we don't <laughs> have to look too, we don't have to dive too deep into it fair enough yeah um all right rock the vote censored carcass sweet track i uh am reading the lyrics too like i love the guitar and, and everything just the way it drives that um reading the lyrics i can see where they're coming from and it's different <laughs> it's very different because i guess the rock the vote sounds like it was like yo you've rocked let's rock the vote too and all the lyrics are about how are they just trying to like control you with the stuff you like to go vote for their people so i, I think i get where yeah. they're coming from i guess i guess yeah lyrically that's kind of where it leads you there yeah I do like it though. It's a good song. Yeah, you know, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty decent album. I mean, it's not it's it's probably Carcass's least heavy album, I guess. But I, I mean, I I wouldn't really say they're selling out or anything because it's still grindcore death metal vocals. It's not really accessible still, you know. Totally. Yeah, it's it's not like as crazy out there as as some are for sure. All right. Yeah. Well, that's uh that's it. It's nice to have a once in a while to have a, a workout playlist that's got a lot of variety on it. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes it fun. Yeah, no, I, I really like it. And um, like even just like the albums in general, because you're, you're jumping around to these different genres that came out in the same year. It's interesting yeah, and to I, hear the different perspectives. And I know there's a, there's a ton of other albums that came out that year that I didn't mention. It's just because there's just too many to list. Yeah, totally. I'm going to make a separate workout, or not a workout playlist. I'm going to put out like a, a bonus playlist uh, just for 1996 for, I guess, rock, uh-huh. hard rock metal. Uh, and I'm going to put a whole bunch of stuff on that I wasn't able to put on the workout playlist. Because yeah. there's just so much good music that came out in 1996 that I, I, I just feel like I'd be doing it a disservice if I didn't make a, a more expanded playlist. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so sense. I'll, I'll work on that a little more. I'd like to add a little bit more to it, and then I'll, I'll release that. Sweet. But I, I also like to do this once in a while, maybe once every season or two. I'm going to pick another year, and I'm going to do the same kind of thing with a different year. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I, I like this because like jump around and see a bunch of different genres all at once. Yeah, and it gives me a chance to listen to stuff that I haven't heard for a while and sometimes find stuff that I didn't even know came out back then. Yeah, I like it. Uh, do you have a, you said you had some like news or something? Did you? or? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they canceled the uh, the Misfits concert in Vegas on New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. Very, very sad. I so, yeah, that. I just found out a couple of days ago that the Misfits, uh, due to some personal reasons, had to cancel that concert. So That's a real big bummer. Yeah, I was really looking forward to that, but what do you what do you do? They're old stuff happens. Maybe I'll get another chance to see them. Who knows? But yeah, yeah. I, I guess you said like they didn't really say anything about making up the dates at all. Uh, it sounds like they're gonna be back at some point. 
It didn't say when okay. exactly, but just just not right away. Doesn't sound like it's over or anything. All right. Well, uh, to end on a really sad note, um, but hopefully the listeners can't hear my tears falling. <laughs> as you as you come back and revisit that pain again. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that is uh, going to do it for this episode of the heavy. So that playlist we just went over. Don't forget, it's on Spotify. We update it every week with these new songs, so make sure to check it out. We put a link to that in the show notes, uh, and see the show notes as well for a complete list of songs that we talked about and you heard in this episode. Uh, And then uh, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please tell a friend and leave us a rating on iTunes. Our website is theheavy.podbean.com, and you can email us at theheavypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at theheavypod on all of those. Our, I think we're back on Facebook now from that short band, so wow. we should be good. Or maybe we're not quite, but either way, follow us on there. Uh, our show is edited by Ian Sutherland with Andrew doing all the research. Our brother Rob designed our logo. Our theme song is Stallions of the Highway by Savage Blade. I'm your host, Don Sutherland, and thanks for listening. We'll catch you again in two weeks. Later. Later.